Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We've got a theme verse for this series. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I read it to you last week, and it says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And if you missed last weekend's message, don't worry. It's all available online. You can go to our church YouTube channel to check it out. But the whole purpose of last week was to make sure that you and I understand that fear does not come from God. And if we don't understand that fear comes from the enemy, we'll spend our entire lives fighting the wrong source. You can never have victory if you fight the wrong enemy. That's why Paul talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood. If you spend all the time around you fighting with the people who are closest to you, you're going to miss out on the schemes that the enemy has because he wants to still kill and destroy from your life. But thankfully, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but he does give us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And we talked about how everything we need to overcome fear is actually found in God. This week, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the fear of failure. The fear of failure. Now, you may have failed before. I'm not going to poll the room. That might be embarrassing for you. But uh, I don't have to take a, a bold guess to assume that at some point in all of our lives, we have all failed. You've made a mistake, you had an issue, you did something that was wrong, and you failed in the process. Sometimes, though, the fear of failure paralyzes us from continuing to move forward. So just to give you an example, uh, about a year or two ago, I was in my wood shop. I was, uh, it, it was, well, it was really a basement at that point, and uh, was trying to learn my table saw. And so I was doing some woodworking projects, and I was pushing some things through the table saw, and uh, I had a, a pinch in my fence, which means that instead of my fence being uh, the same on the front and the same on the back, my, my table saw fence was a little bit more narrow at the end than it was in the beginning, which means when you push a board through, it uses that pinched fence as a projectile. It's like a slingshot. I didn't know that at the time, so I pushed this board through, and this thing came 7,000 miles an hour, and it hit me in the chest. And man, it hurt. Like, I, I, you ever like step on your dog's tail and it yelps? I did one of those, you know? And uh, I was like, oh man, that hurt. Tori came, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing, you know, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna tell her about my problems just yet. But I had some bruised ribs, I was bleeding a little bit, and then I realized the next time I went to use my table saw, I was like, no, <laughs> I ain't touching you, that's from the devil, right? Well, what happened? I had a little bit of fear. I had made a mistake, I had failed in a specific area, but now I was so timid with my table saw that I was letting fear paralyze me from moving forward. 
What I needed to do in that moment was learn from that mistake, course correct, and make sure my table saw fence was level. <laughs> that way it doesn't shoot stuff at me. The, the reason why I tell you that is because I think that's what happens for some of us. There is healthy fear when you fail. You and I need to learn from our mistakes. We need to learn from the things that we do wrong. But if it paralyzes you from ever going back to the table saw, if it keeps you from moving forward with what God has for your life, then perhaps you don't have healthy fear. You have fear that comes from the enemy. And so today, as we talk about the fear of failure, I thought a whole lot about this guy by the name of Peter. Now, if you're not familiar with Peter, he's one of the disciples. We find him first in Luke chapter 5. He's fishing, and Jesus decides to get into Peter's boat. At the end of this journey, he invites Peter to become a fisher of men. Peter was a professional fisherman, but Jesus is trying to say to Peter, hey, if you really want to make a difference in your life, let me teach you how to do what you love, but repurpose it for the purpose of building the kingdom. That's what God wants every single one of us to do. If you've signed up to be a follower of Jesus, that invitation to be a fisher of men is the same for you. God wants you to use what he's given you to make a difference in the world. And so Peter goes on that journey with Jesus. But the problem is, well, Peter's a little eager. He's a little, a little overzealous at times, and he's got a big mouth. He talks when he shouldn't. I know none of y'all can relate to that. Peter gets into trouble every now and then, but one day Jesus is at the, it's the last supper. It's the meal that Jesus is having before he's going to go to the garden to be arrested and ultimately before he dies. And at that dinner, Jesus says that there's going to be a disciple who is going to deny him three times. And Peter speaks up and he says, that might be the rest of these jokers, but it's not going to be me because I would never fail you, Lord. And Jesus says, well, Peter, it's going to be you. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Peter says, there's no way, Lord, I'll never do that. And next thing you know, they're in the garden, and Peter's still a little overexcited, so they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter draws a sword out. He cuts off a dude's ear, and Jesus is like, Peter, you got to slow down, man. This is not, it's not how we do it. Peter gets into trouble again, and then when Jesus is on trial, there's a campfire going around, and someone notices Peter, that he's one of those disciples, and ask him, do you know Jesus? And three times Peter denies Jesus. And at the sound of the rooster crow, he's filled with guilt and shame. He realizes that the very thing he told Jesus he would never do, he ended up doing. Chances are pretty high you've been there as well. There's been things you were trying to get over. There's been things you were trying to overcome. And you said, God, I'll never do this again. And then you did it. And so Jesus ultimately dies. He is resurrected on the third day. And he looks at the ladies in, at the tomb and he says, hey, I want you to go get the disciples and Peter. He calls Peter by name, even though Peter's made so many mistakes. But Peter really doesn't want to have anything to do with this disciple life because he feels like the mistakes he's made have disqualified him from the plans that God has for his life. 
And so in John chapter 21, we pick up the story. Jesus has called for Peter. Peter decides that's not what he's going to do. Instead, he says this, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Come on, some of y'all are like, I'm with Peter on that one. I love me some fishing. But it's not just that he's taking a day off. It's not that he's just going back to the lake. See, what Peter is saying in this moment is that he's going back to his old life. When Jesus found him in Luke chapter 5, Peter was a fisherman. And now, in John chapter 21, he has decided he's no longer worthy of being a disciple. He's no longer able or capable of doing the task that was at hand. He's probably disqualified himself from being a fisher of men. So he's just going fishing. And I would challenge you when you fail, and I think this is one of the primary concerns that I see with people, is that when you fail, it's not an if. Come on, can we get that out of the way this morning? It's not an if. It's when, when you fail, resist the urge to go back to your old way of living. What Peter does in John 21 when he says, I'm going fishing, is he's figured that his mistakes have disqualified him from God's plan. So he's just going to go back and do what he used to do. And I can guarantee you know people in your life that found Jesus, made a decision for Jesus, something happened, and then they're now just doing the things that they used to do, and they don't, they went back to their old way of living. It's a tendency, it's a, it's a stronghold that I think the enemy uses because sometimes, if we're honest, the old way of living looks a little bit more appealing than the current life you're experiencing. Come on, I made a whole lot more money as a drug dealer than I do a preacher. But you got, some of y'all are like, oh. It's going to be like that today. It's going to be like that today. You got to resist the urge to go back to your old way of living. It's really easy for you and I to feel like that because of what happens, those failures that we have in our life, that, that somehow God has given up on us. But the good news for every single one of us today is that even if we've given up on God, God has never given up on us. He's never. And you may have decided to go back to your old way of living. You may have decided, hey, I'm going to walk back into those old patterns or those old behaviors. But can I tell you that God wants something different for your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now you can circle that word anyone, right? Sometimes we, we teach this gospel as if it's just for people who think like, look like, vote like, have the same wealth status as we do. It's not. It's if anyone is in Christ, they've been made a new creation, and the, the way that Paul is framing this is he says, the old has passed away and the new has come, which means that the old life and the new life should not coexist. 
But what the enemy convinces us to do is hold on to some old ways of living as we try and walk in our new life just in case this new life thing doesn't really work out. For me, I was looking the other week uh, on Saturday, Tori and I uh, went through one of my dresser drawers uh, because I don't know about you, but I have this really bad habit of like collecting t-shirts. Anybody else? And my wife had this terrible idea of getting rid of them. And so, and so, but Tori and I were talking years ago. I never realized how much I love t-shirts I've never worn until she tried to get rid of them one time. And then when we were talking about getting rid of them, all of a sudden I was like, no, you don't understand. I love this t-shirt. And she'll say, baby, if you put that on, it'd be a crop top. No, nobody need that. You know, you ain't worn this in, in, in 10 years. But babe, I love this t-shirt. <laughs> Thankfully, she's making me a quilt. But the point is, I think some of us have some old t-shirts. We've got some things that we've tucked away in a drawer. We've got some things that we've hidden in a dresser. And the only reason we keep them around is because we have some kind of emotional attachment to them. So there's friends that you know are not beneficial for you. They're not pushing you towards walking in new life with Jesus. And, and you just keep them around because of the way they used to make you feel. But now when you get around them, your spirit's going, man, this is not beneficial. But you don't want to get rid of them because if you do, you feel like you're losing a part of yourself. But what Scripture teaches us is that in order to gain something, something has to die. New life doesn't come without death. So you want to walk in the new things that God has for you? Resist the urge to go back to your old way of living and actually allow the old ways to die off. One of the reasons why Peter went back to fishing is because he didn't resolve in his heart that there is no plan B with God. I'm going to choose to spend the rest of my days following him, pursuing after what he has for me. And so Peter goes back to fishing. And if you read all of John 21, I'm going to have to tell it to you in story form or I'm never going to get through today's message. So Peter goes back to fishing but thankfully, there were two other disciples who weren't just going to leave their friend alone. They were going with him. So they make that decision. But then they go out and they fish all night, and they don't catch a single thing. It's incredibly frustrating. And I think the reason why they caught nothing is because Jesus is trying to remind them what John 15 is really all about, where he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've been following Jesus and you went back to your old ways of living, when you got back there, you realized they weren't as satisfying as you once remembered. So Peter fishes all night and they don't catch a single thing. And then this is what it says in the text. It says that Jesus shows up and he says, friends, have you caught anything? They say, no, nah, we didn't catch a thing. Jesus says, throw your net to the other side of the boat. And you will. And so as soon as they throw the net to the other side of the boat, they bring in a ton of fish. This is what it says. It says, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter. Now, now this is John writing. He says he's the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I don't have time to get it into it. I'll probably, I'll probably unpack that at the 1030. It says this, said to Peter, if, if it's, it's the Lord. Sorry, I don't know where if came from. 
the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he stripped for work. Come on. Peter was getting clothes for Jesus. So he put on his tunic. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the load net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them and fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. When Peter gets to the shore, he realizes that Jesus has already prepared breakfast. Now, Jesus didn't go fishing. Peter did. Jesus didn't have fish in the beginning of this story, but somehow he's already prepared a meal. I think that you and I, even though Peter is showing up to the shore with fish, need to understand is that God doesn't need what we have, but he wants it. He has the ability to prepare a meal without us, and he sets a table for us. He brings us good things. And so Jesus comes into this picture already have prepared breakfast for these disciples. And what I love about this is it just further communicates that Jesus pursues us despite our failures. Even when Peter had gone into his old way of living, even though Peter went back to his old life, Jesus was there on the shore. He called for Peter and Peter didn't come. So Jesus came to him. See, when we live in our, in our world, that's not how this works. If I've got a guy like Peter on the team, and look, I'm, I'm working to be more like Jesus, but if I've got a guy who always talks out of line, who when he gets overexcited is cutting people's ears off, who denies me and then runs away whenever I call for him, that's probably not the guy I'm chasing. That's probably the guy I'm going, well, praise the Lord, <laughs> you know, because I'd have had to deal with him more. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus pursues him. Despite his faults and flaws and failures, Jesus runs toward Peter. And Jesus not only runs towards us, but he even prepares a meal for us. He supplies what we need when we come to him. Because he's a God who is loving and gracious. It reminds me of the story in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is trying to get across to the people what God is really like. And so he talks about how a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. So he goes after that sheep and he talks about a coin, how this lady has a coin and, and it's lost. So she turns over everything. And when she finds it, they celebrate. When you find the sheep, you celebrate. But then he tells the story of the prodigal son. It's a son whose father has an inheritance and the son asked for it before the rightly appointed time. So typically, you get an inheritance once your father has passed. So the son asks his father, will you give me my share of the inheritance? And the father says, okay. Well, the son takes that money and he leaves his father's house. And scripture teaches us that he blows all the money on wild living and parties and all of that. And then he realizes, after he's wasted all his money, if you want an EAT, you got to have a J-O-B, right? Come on, you know? You want to eat, you need a job because you're going to need money. 
So he starts to work for this farmer. And when he works for this farmer, he finds himself not having enough food to cover, or not having enough money to cover his food. So he becomes envious of the pig trough. And as he's debating whether or not he's going to eat food from this pig trough, he thinks to himself, you know what, I could just go back to dad's house. But when he thinks about his dad's house, he says that he's no longer worthy to be a son. What happens most of the time in our failures is that our mindset of our father becomes distorted. And if you have a distorted, here's what we know about the father. He thinks he can only go back as a servant, but the father from the very beginning gives him what he doesn't deserve in a timely manner in which he does not deserve either. So the only thing we know about the father is that he gives his son what he doesn't deserve. Then we see the son going, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes back to his father's house. And scripture says, while the son was still a long distance away, the father runs to him. And when we hear that, we go, okay, cool, guy in a tunic, sprinting, no big deal. In this culture, that was unheard of because Jewish men didn't show that sense of urgency. So what Jesus is trying to allude to is maybe this father that he's teaching about is different than the fathers we've experienced in the world we live in. And I think the same is true for us. Some of you had a terrible example for a father, but just because your earthly father didn't do it doesn't mean that's how your heavenly father operates. So even when we're some far distance away, the moment we turn back to God, God comes full sprinting towards us because he has been eagerly waiting for you and I to return home. And so the son comes to the father and he's got this big speech prepared and the father doesn't want to hear anything about it. He just says, let's put a ring on his finger. Let's put a robe around him and sandals on his feet because I'm just pumped that my son that was once lost is now found. And I want you to hear me. Jesus pursues us despite our failures. He's not concerned about the speech you're preparing. He's concerned about restoring you back to the rightful place he created you to be in. And that's what John 21 is going to be all about. Peter probably has a plethora of things he wants to say to Jesus, but they've been having breakfast. And before Peter can even get the speech out of his mouth, this is what Jesus says in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the Question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, the three is really important because Jesus asked Peter, how many times? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's letting Peter know that he knows about what he did. See, the very thing that Peter was fearful of, hey, I wonder if he knew. 
I wonder if he knew that I told him. I told him that I wouldn't do this again. I told him I wouldn't betray him. I told him I wouldn't deny him. I was supposed to be there for him, and I backed down. I wonder if he knows, and Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Hey, Peter, I want you to know that I know. And here's the, the world we live in says that, that in order for me to love you, I don't confront the wrong things you do. I just accept you the way you are. That's not love. If I saw a bus heading for you and I just loved you standing in the middle of it, that ain't in the middle of the road. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get hit by a bus. If I really love you, I'm going to say, hey, there's a bus coming. You might want to get out the way. If you see, parents, you know this. Right, when, when you've got little kids and they're kind of navigating through the, the kitchen, they get old enough to where they can reach the top of the stove. When it's hot, you don't sit there and wait for them to touch the burner because it's hot. You go, hey, don't do that. That's going to be real dumb and it's going to hurt real bad because you love them. God's the same way. He wants to confront the things that we've done. He wants to face them head on. And even though Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus comes back to him because a loving God does not ignore your sin. He confronts it. And Jesus knows that if him and Peter don't deal with this issue now on the front end, then for the rest of his life, he's going to be wondering if Jesus knows or what the rest of the people think. And Peter's about to be commissioned. That's what Jesus did. He says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. He says, well, then do something about it. He's commissioning him. He's getting him ready to go back out and restore him to the place that he called him to be. And when he does that, Peter's going to leave these moments, and he's going to go preach to thousands upon thousands of people. And if you don't deal with your past, when you start stepping into the spaces that God has called you to, the enemy is is going to come and speak disqualification over you. So when Peter would get on stage, if him and Jesus don't deal with this issue now, he's going to see that girl who questioned him about Jesus at the fire when he goes to teach, and he's going to feel like she knows. She knows I denied him. How can I stand up here? But because they had that conversation, Peter can get on stage and go, hey, they probably know, but so does Jesus. And we talked about it, and we're good. You don't have to let the enemy hold your past over you if you and Jesus have reconciled and dealt with it on the front end. So that's what's happening. Peter and Jesus are talking about it. And I would just encourage you today that there may be things that you feel like you haven't talked to God about or you haven't dealt with. He knows. He is all-knowing. It's almost like, you ever tried to play hide and seek with a kid who's just not good at it? Like they're standing there and they got the curtain draped over them, but it's a see-through curtain. And their feet are hanging out. That's what it's like when we try and hide stuff from God. He sees it. He knows it. You're just trying to hide it from him because you think that God won't forgive you for the things you've done. You've got a distorted view of the Father. And that's what the fear of failure does. The fear of failure convinces us 
if we deal with this issue, God will never look at us the same. Forgetting that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. God signed up for the jacked up you when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Because the gospel is not that we become perfect, then we get salvation. It's that we understand we are in desperate need of a savior. And because of that, Jesus came. That we couldn't fix ourselves on our own. We couldn't mend this gap that we have inside of us. Instead, Jesus had to come and live a sinless life to die in our place. That's the good news of that. The other thing that I think is incredible is that Jesus, it doesn't say that Jesus pulled Peter to the side. I think Jesus publicly confronted Peter in front of the rest of the disciples because they already knew. He dealt with this issue because at the end of the day, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. Grace is God's unmerited favor that he gives us despite the things that we've done. And our response to that is faith. This, for Peter, was the ultimate reset button. He had failures. He had done some things that were wrong. But from this moment forward, he was going to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. And Jesus would go on to tell Peter about the way he was going to die. And, and he goes into people at your old age. People are going to lead you by your hand. What he's telling Peter is, hey, you're going to make it. Like, I know it doesn't feel like you're going to make it. Right now, you've been up and down and up and down. But you're going to make it to the end of your days. And then John 21, verse 19 says this. Jesus said all this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God with and then Jesus told him, follow me. This invitation of follow me was the same thing that took place in the beginning of Peter's life. Yeah. Go back to John chapter 5. Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter follows Jesus. He makes mistakes. He fails. He goes back to his old way of living. Jesus shows up right there on the shore. He shows back up and he tells him that he loves him. He gives him grace, which he does not deserve. He pursues him even though he should have ran the other direction because God is not like any of us. God is perfect and loving and gracious. And at the end of all that, the same invitation that Peter gets in Luke 5 is the same invitation that God gives him in John 21. Because God's plan for your life doesn't change despite your failures. Like, I get it. You've failed. You've made mistakes. You've messed up. But what God wants to do today in your life is to redeem you and restore you. He doesn't want to beat you up for the things that you've done in your past or talk about all of your, your wrongdoings and spend a whole lot of time on that. What God wants you to do is come home despite your failures, despite your shortcomings, because his plan for your life doesn't change just because you made a mistake. He loves you in spite of that. That's the goodness and the grace of our God. 
See, failure doesn't mean that you've blown everything. It means that you've learned some hard lessons on the way. It doesn't make you a permanent loser. It just means you're probably not as smart as you thought you were. It doesn't mean that you should give up. It means that you desperately need the Lord to show you what the next step is. And it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. It means that God has a better plan for your life. So how do we overcome fear? We overcome the fear of failure by moving forward with God. God does not desire you to live stuck. Because if you were never going to make any mistakes, you wouldn't need Jesus. He knew you were going to fail. But you don't have to be paralyzed by that failure. You can move forward with God knowing that his plan for your life doesn't change despite the failures that you have. And for some of you in this room, the real testament that you need this morning is that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Because the hero in Peter's story is not Peter, is Jesus. It's that despite all the wrong things that Peter's done, Jesus still would choose to show up, to pursue him, to redeem him, and to restore him. And that redemption and that restoration only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You could have been in church your whole life and never experienced a relationship with Jesus. And so for some of you, maybe you've gone back to your old ways of living. Maybe you're in that old life. Here's what you need to do today to throw that stake in the ground. And when Jesus asks you, do you love me? Respond with yes. Choose to accept him as the savior of your sin. And from there, you can move forward with the plan that he has for your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed around the room for just a second today, I believe that there are some of you who need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe he's just been a friend. Maybe he's just been someone you knew about. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if he's not your Savior, then you're missing out on the benefit of redemption and restoration. And if that's you today, you say, hey, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Would you just indicate that by lifting your hand for a moment, saying, hey, that's me. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.